0: Come on, that's an amazing miracle that happened just last week, One, over a $1 million dollars to pay off Catch the Fire Toronto's mortgage. Come on, I like these Catch the Fire million dollar miracles. Why don't we just have another Catch the Fire miracle? Why don't we have the belief that we can burn our mortgage? Come on! It's just exciting to see God on the move, you know? And as, you, as you're thinking about that, there's over 1,000 people that, that go to Catch the Fire Toronto, and every week they would hear different messages. They heard the same messages probably that Steve preached about sowing and reaping and all this stuff, but one couple took heart of that message, and it radically changed their lives. It radically changed Toronto, the church's lives, and all those people. Think of what you can do now with an extra $10,000 a month for the kingdom in the city instead of paying a mortgage or whatever their mortgage actually was. And if you have the ability to give away a million dollars, how big do you think your harvest is? That's their excess that they gave. You know, and it didn't start with giving a million dollars. It started with giving a seed that then was a harvest. And out of that harvest, they then took it and planted it again, and another seed was grown. And another the harvest came forth. And each time that they took that seed, it grew and grew and grew to a bigger and bigger harvest where it was first three zeros, then four zeros, then six zeros. Come on. It's like when you plant an ear of corn in the ground, and all of a sudden it comes up. And now there's a hundred different seed corns on there, and you plant those, and your harvest keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that was the reality of the kingdom that everyone could have accessed, but one couple really chose to go after it. Come on. You know, the Bible is full of men and women, couples, singles, that have got hold of the truth and changed their destiny, changed the world's destiny forever. In fact, the entirety of the Bible is how one man changed all of history. And we have that opportunity to partner with him and change the history around us, in our families, in our cities, in our region, in our nation, and in the world when we grab hold of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Mark 7. We're going to share a few stories of some radical believers, well, radical people that believed in Jesus, let's put it that way, that forever changed the course of history. The first is a Syrophoenician woman in Mark 7, 24 through 30. Verse 24 says, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. The the verb that they use in there is went. There's actually a very divisive sense of went that was used in this gospel. It means that there was an intentionality for which he left Galilee. There is an understanding that there was a lot of pressure at that time from the Pharisees, from Herod Herod, who had thought that he was the resurrected John the Baptist. So there was a lot of aggression that was there, and he was going away in a very divisive action. And he's going to this place called Tyre. You need to understand that it was not a good place for Jews to go in that area. It was very hostile. It's modern Lebanon. It was formerly Phoenicia or the home of Jezebel. The area was decried for its terror in Ezekiel and Zechariah. And it probably represented some of the most extreme oppression or paganism at the time. So Jesus is over here in Galilee and things are bad. But he decides to head over here. And that's an improvement. It's kind of like us saying, you know what, this situation we have right now is not going so good. I think I'm going to go to Afghanistan, Iraq, or Iran, or some other hostile nation, and that's where I want to go vacation and get away and relax. That's the context for which Jesus is going in there. He's not going in to minister to the Gentiles. He's going into getting away for a little bit of respite. And verse 24, And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, came and fell down at his feet. He's going to get away, but his reputation is already so big that he can't hide. His reputation is so big that this pagan that wasn't going to like these Jews comes and falls at his feet. The only other person that you see before fall at Jesus' feet was, the, was Jairus, the synagogue leader. He comes down and falls at his feet. And here we have two different people that fell at his feet. One, a pagan, the other one a leader of a Jewish synagogue, and you would think that there would have been a difference because up until that time, he'd only really ministered to the, to the Jews. But as you see at the end of the story, he doesn't give any difference between those two. He says, yes, I have come for all. But the reality was the revelation that he came for all wasn't there yet. And in verse 26, and now this woman, a Gentile, a Syrophoenician from birth, begged to cast the demon out of her daughter, and he said, And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus just called her a dog. And at that time, Jewish custom would have been to call the Gentiles dogs. But they used the the, the word for like street scavenging dogs. It was not a beautiful term. Jesus tones it down a little bit and used the term puppies or house dog. So he, he called her a dog, but it was like a puppy or a cute little dog, right? And then she wasn't dismayed by that. I can't imagine that someone would have said that to me and not shook me a little bit, but all of a sudden she's like, but answered him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She had a revelation of who Jesus was that wasn't there at the time. She had a revelation that when the dogs eat at the bottom of the food, they're not taking the food from the children. There's a surplus when Jesus shows up. There's more than enough to not only feed the nation of Israel, but his disciples, but even the dogs have the scraps left over. And it's very decisive, the word that they use in here. It's chortazo, which means eat all that they want. That the leftover, the surplus of Jesus is more than enough to eat all that they want. The gospel writer only used that word in two different places. When they were feeding the 4,000 and we were feeding the 5,000. She had a revelation that that's how much Jesus had. That there's always enough when Jesus is there. And she had this revelation, and you could see. You can't see, but you can envision Jesus going, Ooh, I like that faith. I can work with that. You know? He didn't go there to minister to them, but someone's faith changed the course of history. Because he says, and he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the young child lying in the bed, the demon gone. Come on, that's amazing. You see, Jesus went to get away. He wasn't going to proclaim his goodness to them. He was literally going away. He was hiding. It says he was trying to hide. And yet this woman crashed in on the reality and says, no, no, no. What you have I need. And what you give away is more than enough. And she accessed that surplus, which is amazing. You know, I've been, I've been kind of pressing into this theory, you know, as I was thinking about it, is how does this happen? How can, can we see these people that have amazing faith and the stories that have come out of that? You know, I think what happens is, you know, there's no sickness in heaven. There's no death in heaven. There's no lack in heaven there's no lack in eternity and I think what happens is these people that all of a sudden you hear these amazing stories what they do is they they say you know what that's true and I'm one with Jesus I'm in the future glorified body and what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out and grab eternity just a bit and bring it into my today's reality right that's what they're doing they're saying you know this is not supposed to be the way that it is because when I'm in heaven it's not going to be that way why don't we just bring a little bit of that in today into my situation, whether that's a physical ailment, whether that's a situation where you're struggling with trying to figure out a problem. And you know, you read all these stories in the Bible of these incredible men and women of God that have changed their circumstances. If you flip a couple more chapters over to Mark 10. 10, 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with the disciples, a great crowd Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out, All the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and called him. And they called the blind man and said, Take heart, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang and came to meet Jesus. And he says, What do you want me to do for you? Seriously, Jesus, I'm blind. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. When you start to unpack some of this, you need to understand the context of what a blind person would have been at that time. They were the low of the low. In John, it says, who sinned, the parents or him that made him blind? You see, they thought it was judgment from God and that you were supposed to leave them in that place of judgment. They were the lowest of the low. There were sinners, then there was blind people that were really bad, and then eventually you get down to tax collectors. (laughs) That was kind of the pecking order. Been tough to work for the IRS back then. And you know what's interesting is they said that Jesus of Nazareth was coming by. That's what he heard. At that time, it would have been something like, Hey, Duncan from Wake Forest. It would be a way that you would signify where you're from, right? Jesus of Nazareth. But what does he respond? He doesn't respond that way. He says, Jesus, son of David. He had a revelation. He was blind in his eyes, but he had a revelation in his heart of who he was speaking to. You see, in 2 Samuel, David was promised that his heir, an heir in his line, would ultimately sit on the throne and reign forever. And he acknowledged that loudly. And when the world, the people around him were saying, riff-raff, shush, 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 don't talk anymore, he proclaimed it even louder. He didn't listen to them that were saying, don't talk anymore, you're not worthy. He said, "All oh, Jesus is worthy. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. And he yells it. He actually screams it. The verb that they use is krazo. That's probably not pronounced that way, but kraso, krazo, K-R-A-Z-O. And it's used in the Bible. It's used in discussing insane epileptics, demon-possessed people, and women in childbirth. I didn't make it up. So it says that he cried out originally like an insane, epileptic, pregnant woman yelling in childbirth. And then it says he cried out even louder. So you can imagine how loud he was yelling Jesus is the Messiah, he is the chosen one. Jesus was walking past him. He didn't go to heal Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus arrested the gaze of Jesus and he said, That's faith I can work with. And it changed history. As you see, his eyes were restored, he saw. And you need to kind of put it into context of what happened. You see, he believed that Jesus was the son, that he was the chosen one, that he was the Messiah. But you see, he wasn't healed first and then believed. You see, at the time what he did, it said he threw off his cloak. To put it in context, at that time, the cloak was your house at night when you slept. You put the cloak on you and you slept. For a beggar, it was also his job. It was his source of revenue. He would throw out the cloak, and as people would walk by, they would put change in it, and then he would pull the cloak in to gather the money. But he had a revelation and had faith and said, when Jesus said, come, he threw off his cloak, left his house, left his occupation, and went to Jesus and was healed by a radical faith that changed his life forever. The life of people forever around there. In Matthew, it records two blind people, but in this gospel, it records one by name. Some of the commentators are wondering if maybe after this miracle, he became more well-known. It says he followed after Jesus. Maybe he started following after Jesus a lot. Maybe he was there during that week. Maybe he was there during the crucifixion. Was he there during the resurrection? Maybe he was in the 120 room, 120 people in the room. Maybe he was there when the Holy Spirit crashed in on them on the day of Pentecost. We don't know, but we do know that we know his name. And we do know that his life was forever changed by a radical faith that arrested the gaze of Jesus and transferred his life forever. Can you imagine being considered the lowest of the low in your society at the time, and all of a sudden now you're healed of that? The stigma, the shame, whatever. One encounter with Jesus forever changed his destiny and the destiny of so many other people. You want to flip back a few chapters to Mark 5. We're going to talk about the hemorrhaging woman. It's always fun to talk about that in church. Mark 5 24 through 34. And a great crowd followed him, this is in the end of uh, verse 24. Great followed him and thronged around him. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood had dried up. You need to put into context at that time what it would have meant. Meaning, if you were menstruating on your, on your period at that time as a woman, you were ceremonially unclean. That means that there were Levitical rules that you had to do if you touched something. Right? If you sat on a chair, it had to be washed a certain way. If you touched someone, it had to be done something. Right? And then you, know, you had to kill two turtle doves and a partridge and a pear tree. Whatever the rules were, you had to do them. <laughs> and for 12 years, she knew that that was what would happen. She knew that in her town that everybody knew who she was because as soon as they touched that person, they had to run away. She was well known. For 12 years, the physicians treated her badly and took all her money. Can you imagine how many people you touched just today, that you gave a hug today? Think of how many people you've shaked their hands with or given a hug in the last week. When you went to the grocery store yesterday, Or the supermarket. Every interaction, people would have run away from her. She had this stigma around her. But she saw something in Jesus that she didn't care that there was a stigma anymore. Because she knew that one touch would change her life. It's as if some of the the translations say that the crowd was crushing in around Jesus. That there was that kind of powerful mob around him. Right, The original uh, Hebrew mosh pit, if you will. They were just all around him as he's going there. And so you can imagine that if Jesus was the podium up there, that all of a sudden he comes over here and this woman is like, yes, I don't care, unclean, unclean, unclean. I'm fighting through the crowd, unclean, 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 unclean. Every person she's touching is saying, unclean, unclean. If I can just get to Jesus, clean. What I love about this scripture is it shows that everything that Jesus did, we can do because he did it in his manhood, not his Godhood. He says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, are you serious, Jesus? Do you see these people? (laughs) Really? Who touched you? What do you mean? No, I felt a power come from out of me. I know that something happened. And all of a sudden, she was able to share how she was immediately healed. You know what's crazy about this story? Is it says dozens of people touched Jesus, but there's only one recorded healing. What was the difference? When she touched, she believed that Jesus was going to be who he said he was going to be. Whoa, and there was going to be a healing. Come on. get excited about these things because i used to live a life that didn't know that this existed right i used to live a life of religion i didn't think that jesus still moved like he moves right and then i had some revelation that he's starting to move but there's been these revelations that have been around for a long time some people just grab hold of this in such a way that they're unshakable There's some folks that we've heard about, that we've read about, that we get to be around. Some famous, some not as famous. But they're grabbing hold of this revelation. I want to share a couple of stories about uh, some men and women of God that have really grabbed hold of this revelation that Jesus is alive today, that the eternity you can reach up and make it your today's reality. Smith Wigglesworth uh, was a plumber by training, he was trained to be a plumber. I'm not sure how that corresponds into going into full-time ministry, but he was trained as a plumber. But he's a bold, bold preacher. And he had some crazy, crazy stories. But he, one day, was at a church service, and there was someone that was suffering from some kind of tumor. And he got so angry at that, because he didn't believe that that was what was supposed to be for that person, that he punched the person where the tumor was, and the tumor flew out of the body, hit the ceiling, Came back down and left a bloody mark on the ceiling. The church left it there as a reminder of God's goodness. There's another story that goes that he was at a meeting and a baby had passed away that day. And they brought the baby to the church service and put it on the altar. Not sure why. Anyway, hopefully Smith was hearing from the Lord about this one. But he picked up the baby and punted the baby back into the audience. When the baby hit the ground, the baby came back alive. Neither of those techniques do we teach in the school revival, so don't worry. We won't ask you to punch anybody or kick any babies. But we will ask you to partner with the king. And transform lives around you. Transform your life. There was another one. John G. Lake had another incredible healing ministry that there was so much healing in his town of Spokane, Washington, that the U.S. government actually certified it as the healthiest city in all of America. Why not? Why can't Durham and Chapel Hill and Raleigh be known as the healthiest place in all of America? Not because of teaching hospitals at Duke and Chapel Hill and Rex and all that. We love that. God can use that. But why don't we use Jesus first? Come on. We've seen so many miracles of people being spontaneously healed during worship where people uh, are all of a sudden just in that moment and all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And that's without us trying. Why don't we try? Why don't we partner with that and have that kind of radical faith, right? You know, and and I know that some of you, like me, are like, you know, I I don't have that kind of faith like John G. Lake, and I'm definitely not going to punch anybody. You know, I mean, like, where is this level of faith? Well, Scripture says in Matthew 17, for I truly say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible. What's left out of nothing? Right? Nothing. So, you know, sometimes, you know, you're ministering, and all of a sudden, there's no difference between a headache and someone getting out of a wheelchair, in God's mind. It's just as easy. It's just in our mind, it's a challenge. It can be. You know, I remember... When I first started to have this kind of revelation, we were, we were teaching on healing. We were in an uh, Ignite group, and, and, you know, all of a sudden, um, we were ministering to a lady, and uh, at, at, when I first started the church, we had welcome to Ignite groups or get to know Ignite groups because Duncan and Kate planted a church without really knowing really anybody. They had a couple of couples, and so we're trying to figure out who's here, who's with us, and so they're teaching, and we were ministering to this lady that had a bellyache, and we were ministering to her, and all of a sudden, she's like, oh, my belly's better, and I'm like, Seriously? You can't say that because that would hurt her faith. But you're like, I mean, I was a skeptical trial attorney that got paid to beat people up and prove that they were lying to me, right? So I had a certain bias, right? And, and you can't prove that. She could just be like, I feel a lot better. And then you feel all anointed or something because you healed someone with Jesus, right? But then, you know, you know we're moving in the bigger, bigger, bigger miracles. Maybe we've moved up to, like, headache now, you know? And, and so, you know, you've got this faith for headaches, And uh, so I ended up getting ready to go to Niger, Africa. And it was this amazing, faith-filled people that moved in signs, wonders, and miracles like you've never seen before. It was one trial attorney, me, that was very skeptical and had seen a headache healed. We had a gentleman that was working at Starbucks, Max. We had a doctor that was going with us to help do medical missions that didn't believe in supernatural healing other than what medicine can do. And we had Carlos, one pastor. And we roll in and land in Nigeria, take the five-hour through bandit-infested country north to where we were, and our bags didn't arrive. There was no medicine. There was no supplies. There was what we contained in my tiny little backpack that everyone made fun of me for carrying, but then used it the rest of the time that we were there. (laughs) We now pack in double redundancy for these events, so we're there a week and no medicine. We were going to do a conference with the Fulani people that have gathered from all over West Africa, and then we were going to do a medical medical uh, medical mission trip, basically give them medicine. But we didn't have any medicine. All we had was Jesus. And so between the first night of the event and then the next uh, day, ten blind eyes or partially blind eyes were opened. With a bunch of people that didn't know what they were doing. But had just enough faith. A mustard seed size of faith that God said, I can work with that. And you know, the crazy thing is, is they didn't know that we didn't normally do this. They just see all these crazy miracles. In fact, when we went out to the bush, there were so many miracles, we couldn't record them all. It was as if every person that you ministered to got healed of something. It was wild. So the people that had us there, they're like, wow. These guys are amazing. There's so much anointing on them. JT, there's this woman that's dying out in the bush. Would you mind go praying for her? Yes, I would love to. Oh, my God. She's going to die. It's all my fault. Oh, Jesus. But you don't do that on the outside. That hurts the faith of the overall group. So you just quietly freak out on the inside. And you're like, oh. Okay, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen, okay. And you just go out there and and you you know, you just start to minister and you say, Jesus, I need a mustard seed side of faith right now, please. Please give me a mustard seed size of faith, because if I have that much faith, you can work with that. So you start ministering, and I don't know if you've ever been around someone that was on death's door, but they look kind of ashen and kind of gray. And anyway, there was an immediate transformation in the countenance of this woman. We ultimately don't know if she was completely healed because we moved on, but I saw that transformation right there before my eyes when death was knocking on that door. And we said, not, not today. Not today, devil. Not today. You know, I, and I think that's what we all have is we have testimonies from somebody else because maybe we haven't seen a blind eye. You know, some people back when I used to, have struggles with that Jesus still moved like this today. I used to say, Well, I don't, I don't, never seen anybody with blind eyes open. And then, you know, Duncan would gently ask me, Well, how many people have you prayed with, with blind eyes? It's a solid point. I can't argue that one. And then some people will say something like, Well, that's over in some third world country. That, that just, those happen over there. Jesus still moves where it's, there's desert, but, you know, you come to where there's a skyscraper and, you know, there's interference with Wi Fi or something, right? I don't know why people accept something in a third world country, but not in a first world country. So then I like to share the story when we were all in England a few years ago and we watched a woman get out of a wheelchair. I'm like, is that first world enough? Is that first world enough? You know, and, and, and there's this, it's this revelation that all of a sudden, you know, we didn't maybe start healing blind eyes or ministering with people with blind eyes, but you maybe started with the headache. And then your faith grew. Okay, now I can go to rotator cuff injuries. Pretty soon we're going to go to hip replacement. You know, we'll get to knees, and pretty soon we'll do toe bodily re- restoration. Right? But start somewhere. Minister somewhere. I remember we were, I was teaching at a Bible, at, a, uh, we, at a, one of my law firms, was a largely Christian law firm, and we got to do a Bible study in the law firm. They didn't necessarily do Bible studies the way we do Bible studies, but nonetheless, they asked me to speak. And I felt the Lord say, I want you to teach on healing. I'm like, all right. I may get fired, but all right. Anyway, so at the beginning, you know, they do the praise reports, prayer requests. Like seven different people all had something of some illness that needed to be prayed for. I said, you know what? Why don't we just do that at the end? And then I taught on healing, several scriptures from healing. And at the end, I said, does anyone have any pain in here? And there was not one of the paralegals had shoulder kind of roped up pain like in the back. So I said, kingdom of God, come right now. And she was instantly, spontaneously healed in front of a bunch of people that didn't believe it. wappling. Come on. I said, now with that revelation, why don't we go through our prayer list? Now that we know that Jesus still shows up, why don't we now go through that list and believe that you can do the same thing that you hear about in the Bible, that you read about in the Bible, because you're one with the king. That's the reality. The reality is that sometimes when you reach out, you can grab a little bit of eternity and bring it into your today's reality. And you can transform lives all around you, you know? I remember Duncan likes to share the story that he was teaching on, on some form of healing. And people said, you know, isn't it a sin to command God to do something? Isn't that a sin? And he came up with this, you know, it's not sin to command God to command him to do what he has commanded you to command him to do. I can do that again so you know that I actually said it. It's not sin to command God, to command him to do what he has commanded you to command him to do. He said heal the sick. He didn't say minister to the sick. He didn't say pray for the sick. We say that all the time. Let's go pray for the sick. And, you know, the, the ailments, those get the big, the big ones, right? When you see someone that was in a wheelchair now up. But there's so many other amazing miracles that you hear from people because it's not just money. It's not just that. I mean, think about it. When all of a sudden you have this amazing opportunity that opens its door miraculously, that shouldn't have. Or all of a sudden you get that phone call that you're like, I was just praying for you, right? All of a sudden, maybe you struggle with some certain thoughts. And you're like, no, no, not not these thoughts. Let me put on the mind of Christ. I want every thought to be put onto the mind of Christ. I don't want any of that. There's so many different areas. How about a $1.1 million miracle? Let's believe for a $1.5 million miracle to pay off the debt and another 1.5 to really transform these cities. As John said, the only difference between a million and a hundred is a bunch of zeros, which is a whole lot of nothing. So if a headache and a wheelchair are the same to God, what about the difference between a hundred and a million? It's just our perception that we put values on things. You know, And, I, and as, I, as I've been pressing into them in these things, I think that there's some certain principles that we can glean from these stories. There are different issues but similar themes that kind of come through these different stories. First, I thought Jonathan prayed an excellent sharing this morning. And it was kind of on my heart as well. And you start to see what has happened when there are people that have judgmental thoughts. If you see all those scriptures, there were people that were judging somebody else that said, you're Bleeding for 12 years, you're awful. You're blind. You're awful. There is this perception of judging somebody else, that you're a second-class citizen, or that you're less than, or that there's some stigma attached. And we have these thoughts, you know, who maybe you judge from time to time. You know, is it someone that's older than you, someone that's younger than you, someone that goes to a different church down the street that may not worship like you do? Oh, we're better than them. What about someone that has a different race or ethnicity? What about someone that has a different political view than you? You know, what is your social media plug page filled with? I think, based on the last election, there was a lot of animosity going back and forth. As a kind of litmus test, I was thinking, what if our social media only comfort, encouraged, and edified people? What if that's what social media was? What if every Christian didn't post anything negative on social media but only pointed positive thoughts about who Jesus was? There's a couple of billion people on Facebook. That's amazing if we could just start to think about that. So, you know what? Jesus said, He is more than enough. He said, He is available for all. He died for all. And he wants us all to show and reveal his love to everyone. And it doesn't matter if they look different because in the tapestry of heaven, that's his paintbrush. We're all different. We're all created in his image. How creative and amazing that is. So there were people that were judging others, that were thinking that. But then you know what? The flip side of that is there were those that were judged. There was Bartimaeus. There was the woman. There was the Syrophoenician pagan that others look down upon. So for some of us in the room, we may feel that there is a stigma associated against us, that maybe they look differently upon me. And some of it may be real, things that have said, but others may not even be ever spoken. Maybe there's some quiet things that you don't, no one knows about, but you've done them, you've had that, and so all of a sudden, you put the associative society shame on you without anyone ever saying anything against you, right? Maybe you're having marital problems and that's embarrassing. Maybe you've had an abortion. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction that no one knows about, but you know that it's really bad. And if anyone ever found out, oh, wow. But you know what? His blood is more than enough. There is no second-class citizen in the kingdom. There's one class. You are chosen. You know, some of us in the room may actually identify with maybe a Bartimaeus. I mean, the, the Pharisees and Bartimaeus. You know, maybe some of us have a little bit of spiritual blindness in a certain area. That we can physically see them with our eyes, but in the eyes of our heart we can't see the revelation. That's where I was for a whole lot of years of knowing Jesus. There's a whole lot of more of Jesus than not going to hell. It's having heaven invade earth and that we get to be the carriers of that. And kind of the fourth area is those folks that want to have a testimony like those couple in Toronto. Not just money, but I'm talking about amazing supernatural leaps of faith. That you had to do something radical for the king. And I don't necessarily mean leaving your job, but it may be. What about just witnessing to your relatives at Thanksgiving that don't know the Lord? What about sharing your faith at work was that big leap of faith? And some of you are like, I want to take that leap of faith. But like me, didn't have the faith. I just needed the Lord. Please give me a mustard seed size of faith so I can take that step. Oh, I could do it. Yes. I got the mustard seed side of faith. Yay. And then everyone around you thinks you're this amazing healing evangelist. They didn't know that that was your first rodeo. The people at Target and Walmart and at work, they don't need to know it's your first rodeo. But it could be their first rodeo. It could be their first encounter with the king. I'm so excited we have some graduates of the school revival and some current students that are going out in Durham, I think on a monthly basis, and just loving on people in the streets, bringing them food and praying for them. Anybody can do that. We could get the worship team to come up here we're going to have an opportunity for a response this morning but before i do that i want to make it an available an option for anyone that's in the room or watching online that have never given your life to jesus christ you hear these stories and you're like that's crazy but i'm intrigued i want to have a life like those i want to have a life like that or maybe as you've been stirring here you're like you know what i was right with the lord but you know what I've gotten into some things, and I just really want more of Jesus in my life right now. So why don't we all stand together as we start to wrap this up. And what we want to do is we'll just all repeat this, because we can all use more of Jesus. I mean, we get it all, but we always want more, right? So first and foremost, if you've never met Jesus, you need to acknowledge that you need a Savior, that you need him to come into your life. And you can just repeat this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, just please come into my life the first time or again. And just fill up my life. I know that I need a Savior. And I want you in my life right now. More than ever, I want you in my life right now. Just let that sink in. As you feel his presence. I remember the day that I gave my life to the Lord. I felt the presence of God come on me. And it started a journey. So what we want to do right now as the, ministry, as the um, worship team plays a little bit, I want to just give an opportunity for us to respond to this message. And, you know, a lot of times or sometimes we'll have an altar call. And, and I remember when I first started going here, altar call made me feel very uncomfortable. Right? And there's nothing special per se about the front of a building. But you know what it is? It's when there's the heart of the person that's stepping out in faith that they say, God says, that's something I can work with. It's that, just that little prophetic declaration. That's in no way a manipulation. I just wanted to say sort of my journey of the altar call. In the beginning, I used to be very uncomfortable. What we want to do right now is there's four areas that I believe that we can look at. One, are there people, people groups, or somebody that you have judged, that you have thought something less than what Jesus thinks of them? Maybe someone from a different political party. Maybe from a different ethnicity. Maybe someone that just works at a competitor down the street that sells their ice cream cheaper and it makes you mad. (laughs) Are there people that you've judged? On the flip side of that coin, have you felt judged? Are you in a certain area that you're struggling with a medical condition or that you've done some things that you just feel that you've judged? And you just want to forgive that person Or that group of people. And those that were judged, you can just ask for forgiveness. And just say, "I, Lord Jesus, will you forgive me for judging those people? Will you forgive me for having those thoughts other than what your thoughts are for them? And then give yourself a gift of forgiveness. And say, I forgive myself for having those thoughts. And then for some of you that may feel that you have a little bit of a spiritual blindness like, like I had, that I didn't know Jesus wanted to show up in powerful, powerful ways and minister today. It could be different for different people, but that was mine. He's here today. We have the opportunity to access eternity today and reach out and say, no more. Right now, judgment be gone, judging be gone, sickness be gone. I'm gonna bring that future eternity into my reality today. And that last area I wanna, for some of us that are about ready to do something radical for Jesus And you want to have that mustard seed size of faith. And you're like, he'll give you the mustard seed size of faith. So if that's you, if you fill in in any of those areas, I want you just to come up to the front, and we're going to have the ministry team come up and just stand in agreement. We're just going to lay hands on you and pray with you and believe that today is the day. Today is the day that you can reach forward into eternity and bring it to your today reality.